Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest on today's episode of Mike's Search for Meaning is Janet Driver. Every episode, I raise awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice, and Janet works for an organization called the Unstoppable Foundation. And in this episode, we will, of course, be raising awareness for the Unstoppable Foundation. The link to donate is in the show notes, and we talk at length about the impactful, incredible work that UF is doing. Now, I don't want to go into too much depth because Janet does a great job explaining what the Unstoppable Foundation does in Kenya, tackling huge challenges such as food insecurity in Africa and different pillars that are essential for human flourishing, like education, nutritious food, clean water. And one common fallacy or pitfall that I see when it comes to first world countries going into third world countries is that we project our own belief systems, our own ways of operating onto folks that have completely different cultures, different ways of seeing the world. And one of the things I most admire about the work that UF is doing is that they go in wanting to understand and listen to the people that they're working with. So in Kenya, they don't go in there saying, we have the solution. They go in and take the time to understand Kenyan culture, the infrastructure that's available there, And only when they feel they have an actionable plan that is suited for Kenya, for Kenyans, will they move forward. Then we get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of, well, what are the ways that Unstoppable Foundation is bringing value? And we also address this really thorny question that Janet faces head on of why are we Americans going into Kenya when we have enough problems on our own hands, why don't we focus on poverty in America, food insecurity in America? And Janet, as a citizen of the world, makes a really compelling argument about how we need to look at humanity and not just within America. I'll also add in that even if you look at the content of this conversation aside, one of the things that I've come across is that a path to success is tithing or the gift of giving. And it was very reaffirming for me as someone who makes an effort, a really concerted effort to give back that it's not only helping other people that I give to, but it's of course helping me as well. And Janet explains even a little bit of the reasoning behind why that is true. So I think you're really going to get a lot out of listening to Janet's wisdom And the Unstoppable Foundation is such an incredible cause. It's a privilege to be able to support the work that they are doing. So with all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy what Janet has for us right now. Hi, Janet. It is such a privilege to have you on the podcast, and welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Uh, Thank you so much. It's really my honor, my pleasure to be here with you today, Mike. Mm -hmm. I I thought that we could start 
you know, I, I almost every interview start with the same exact question and I want to get there with you. I, I ask, what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? And I think it's a fascinating question, but I actually thought you and I could start with how we arrived at this conversation in the first place. Like how, how did you and I meet each other and why we're here? I, it's a really neat story. It's probably the coolest of the 70 plus interviews that I've done the most synchronous and organic of uh, meetings. So I, I was wondering if you could share what your experience of meeting me was. Absolutely. And it was extremely special. So when somebody supports the foundation that I work for, the Unstoppable Foundation, I will typically be notified. And we have a policy that we want to reach out and introduce ourselves, to, especially anybody that's new. And we always want to give thanks. And so your name came across my desk as somebody that was new to the foundation. And so I reached out to you and then we had a short, after that, we had a short exchange and a phone call and you shared with me because I'm always curious how you learn, how anybody learns about the foundation, because we are very much a, a word of mouth organization. We don't advertise. We have no marketing out there that you'll see. We're very much word of mouth because the people that support us are so passionate about our mission that they tell everybody. So I always want to know. And so when I asked you that, and you told me that one of your listening audience members told you about the foundation and that you were compelled to support and inspired to support us, I thought that was one of the most beautiful things I'd heard. I know that I very much you know, would like to be able to extend thanks to that individual for sharing their heart with you about it, because every penny saves a life. And so it's amazing that your reach could go that far across to Kenya through that exchange. So to me, that was really exciting. Mm. It's beautiful. And I, I'm very touched by how we arrived here together. And I'm a, a huge believer in the random acts of kindness or small acts of kindness, and that every action that we take, anything that we do, even if it's something that doesn't seem to go noticed by another person, there's an energy exchange there. And I got the sense when you left me a voicemail that it wasn't a transactional, I, I've got a hundred calls that I'm making today and Mike is number 63. And <laughs> let me just run down the list. And we were actually talking right before we jumped on about what it's like to be scripted versus maybe organic or authentic. And there yep. was just, there was something about the way that you left that voicemail that was sincere and authentic. And I could have just let it linger in my voicemail inbox and said, oh, that was really nice. But I decided based on the energy that was being received by me to call you back and say how much I appreciated it and where the reach out came from on my end. And that's how you knew it was from a podcast that maybe I would be interested in having you on. And, and now here we are. What a beautiful thing. Full circle and a big surprise because I never reach out to anybody hoping to get blessed in return. Like I want to deposit a blessing when I leave a voicemail for somebody. It's one of my favorite things to do because I feel like ah, I've uninterrupted opportunity to just share my heart in this moment. And so, you know, not everybody likes to leave a voicemail, but I love to leave a voicemail. And so but this was a big surprise that this turned into this opportunity for you and I to connect further. It's really, like I said, a huge pleasure for me. So thank you again. Yeah, of course. So oh, we'll put a pin in Unstoppable Foundation for which we will be spending much of today's conversation talking about, hopefully. 
But now I'm going to circle back to the question that I typically start every interview with. I would love to hear your answer, Janet. What was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? <clears throat> what a great question. I've never been asked that, but I'm actually kind of excited to, to share with you. Just looking back in my mind, it was I have a very strong image of what dinner was like. So I come from a big family. So there were six kids and two parents. So there was eight of us crowded around a table. And my parents, my dad especially, was somewhat of an intellectual and I was at the younger end of the six. I was number five. And so a lot of this went over my head, but my dad would frequently throw out words like big, long, like five or six syllable words for like a spelling bee at the table. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I grew up like, you know, really enthralled with words that were beyond my ability. And so that is where it came from was from those dinner time. Like I would call them spelling bees because of course the older kids, they were like, you know, rattling it off. And I was always like, ah, oh, man, I have no idea. You know, I don't know what that word is. I can't even say it again. But it it put in me like a sense of challenge. Like I will learn those words. I will know how to spell them. And so that's what I, I remember from um, our dinner, our dinner times, our dinner table. Good food. I'm Italian. So there was always an abundance of not good food, great food. Great food. Yeah. Was it a point for your family to there's that's a lot of moving parts. There's eight people and six kids. Was it a point to sit down together for as many dinners and meals as possible? I would say always. Wow. I'd say always until my oldest sister went off to college. We were all there. And then one by one, you know, as the kids grew up, but dinner was was not a question. It was and, and honestly, I raised my family that way too. No matter what we had going on in the daytime, even when the kids were doing sports and music and, you know, they were in stage plays or whatever, dinner, be there. <laughs> well, that's yep. that's something that I aspire to as my family uh, eventually grows as well, is that I, I want to make it a point that we're sitting down for meals. It's, it's something that's come on my radar more recently as extremely crucial and important and foundational for it's emblematic of connection and nourishment. And there's, there's so much that goes around sharing a meal together. I'm, I'm also curious, I guess one of my come froms with a question like this is what were you like when, when you were younger, like what, when you were a kid, what did you, what did you crave? What did you enjoy? what did you yearn for? Things like that. Oh, what a great question. So I grew up in a very science minded family. Um, my dad turned an opportunity for anything into a science experiment for us. You know, every weather pattern that passed us and every wild animal we found in our garage, or it, it was all about science. And so I grew up fascinated with science and loving science. But when I got into you know, primary school and into grade school, I found that I was very, I was very alone in that. And so I kind of stood out as like the nerd, if you will. I was definitely a science nerd. And so I tended to be, I was very quiet, but not shy. Like I was... I was almost apologetic for my strength because I recognized that I was stronger than other kids and other kids would come to me and say, you know, why are you, why are you have, why are you able to you know speak and why are you so strong? And I, I always felt a little bad about that because I could see that it made people feel less than. And so I was very quiet. So I kept that in, but knowing that, knowing that it was there, I think that my, one of my kids calls that being meek, <laughs> you know, when you have the ability to like bowl somebody over, but you hold back your strength. So I think I was I was meek growing up and uh, very interested in science. Um, I loved to learn. I loved to read. And 
I looked up, I looked up in the sky more than I looked down because I always was just fascinated with the sky and what was up there and the clouds. Like I was mesmerized by the clouds and then the stars and all of it. Like I just always remember looking up. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering how much of the meekness would you attribute to, I guess, the way that you were treated in school or what it was to be a strong-minded female I like there's there's a lot of layers I think to what might contribute to that it's I, I'm reading a little bit into your family dynamic too but it doesn't it didn't seem like that would have been something that your parents were you know saying box it in keep it in but what what were what do you think were some of the things that contributed to that well, I do think there may have been some family dynamics in that. I grew up in an era where it was said out loud in my household, that, and there was definitely an element, no offense to any you know relatives, past, present, or future, but there was an element of male dominance. And so, but I wasn't in the slightest bit offended by that. I almost felt as, as a young child, not even having any understanding and no coaching and no guidance about this, but I, I felt in my head, that's okay. When I grew up, I'll have plenty of opportunities to express who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I never felt bad about it. I just was fine with being quiet, but I feel like it actually became a positive tool in my life where I learned the ability to decide when it was appropriate to exhibit my strength versus quietly hold it back. And I don't think everybody has really come to that. I see people who have great strength sometimes out there, you know, in, in the public and I think that sometimes learning to harvest it or maybe harness it a little bit, like pull it in a little bit is not a bad tool. So in hindsight, I'm grateful. I wasn't, I didn't feel bad that I was a female in a, in a male dominated home. I didn't feel bad about that. I, I, I think I used it to my advantage. Beautiful. Oh, that's a, that's a beautiful reflection. And, and thank you for sharing all that. I, I love to spend the beginning part of the conversation, understanding a little bit about your come from what it was like being a young, younger version of you. And from here, I, I would love to hear, I, I know that you've been at Unstoppable Foundation for about six years, right? Since 2018 or so. What were some of the early career stops that you made that brought you to where you are today? I know there's so many different interests that I think bring you to, to where you are and who you are today, but we'd love to hear the, the short a summation of that in some way. Sure. It's kind of ironic because I came from a, an entirely different place from where I've landed today. And, I, and I'm grateful for my journey, but it really started, I studied journalism in, in college. That was my major. I, I love journalism. I thought for sure that was what I would do in my life. And I did not. <laughs> I had some challenges with just, I was in broadcast journalism specifically. And then as life evolved, I ended up having a beautiful early career in the cosmetics industry, actually based with a company out of New York. So right there in New York City, I worked for Revlon, a very specific division of Revlon. It was called Borghese is the name of the company. And I worked for some greats in that industry. I worked for Matt Rebel and John Dempsey, who's the, the senior uh, leader at Estee Lauder Company today. So some really fantastic people that sewed into me and just gave me fantastic training, but a very different type of you know, an industry. And I feel like I did very well in that. It was a great match for me. And I really loved what I did. And then when I left to start raising my family, I continued doing cosmetics, but I went back to entertainment, which I had done 
early in life, you know, growing up in, in California, that's kind of a, an easy thing to fall into. And so I did makeup for film and for television, mostly film, but also for television. And I did that on very remote level while my children were growing up. You know, I could do like one job a month and make the same income that I might have made working a full-time job. And so it was really a lot of fun and I loved doing it. And then when that era of my kids growing up, you know, began to subside, you know, they get into high school and they're very independent and they're busy. And I had a lot more time on my hands. And so then when I decided to start working again back in the workforce, I went back into the entertainment industry, but I went back in as a human resources executive, which is something that I evolved in, in the cosmetics industry. I, I, they trained me in human resources. And so I took that tool and I took it back to the entertainment industry and continued to work in that for many years up until really until I came to work for the Unstoppable Foundation. So if it's okay, I'll go ahead and segue into how I came to Unstoppable through that. Okay. So by this time, now my kids are in college and I'm working, you know, very full time. And in many cases though, as a contractor, so I wasn't super committed, but I worked for um, one company that I worked for for many, many years on and off for close to 20 years. And they were producing the Unstoppable Foundation's Black Tie Annual Gala that was on the same stage as the Golden Globes each year at the Beverly Hilton Hotel in, in Beverly Hills in California. And so it was a big event and it was had a lot of celebrity pieces to it and a, and a whole stage show. So we were producing the stage show. And so probably the foundation doesn't even really know this, but for probably three years, maybe before I even worked for the foundation at all, I was working on their scripting for their shows. And so I already had the foundation and the programming in my head. And I had worked many years in a volunteer capacity for nonprofits, specializing, really focusing on women, battered women's shelters, and then sick children also. I have some great foundations in Los Angeles that I work for as a volunteer only. But certainly it piqued my my taste and my interest. And I had kind of a, a heartfelt desire to do something long-term, you know, when I was older, like I am now, I, I was hoping to be able to evolve into that. But when the foundation had a need for a makeup artist, they hired me to be in their green room on their gala. Again, we had a whole lineup of talent, you know, celebrities and people taking the stage. And so I worked the green room and did makeup. And I did that for two years in a row. And then the third year I was booked for it. And they had an internal staff member drop out of their game very late in the game, right before their gala. I think it was about six weeks out, if I remember exactly. And this person was integral to producing the event from an internal perspective. And so they asked if I would take that role on an interim basis. And I agreed. I gave it a lot of thought. I knew it was a big commitment. It would be long days and really ramping up to like probably 20 hour days as you get closer to an event like that. But I'd done events my whole career. It was really comfortable for me. And I knew that they were in a bind. And I thought about it for a moment. I said, yes, I'll do this. So I cleared out everything else out of my calendar and I went for six weeks and I literally never left. <laughs> and so I've been at the foundation ever since that time. Beautiful. Well, this is a perfect segue into just, I guess, let's set the container. What what does the Unstoppable Foundation do? Great question. So the Unstoppable Foundation basically is a humanitarian organization. And what they do is they, they impact lives in rural Kenya through education. So education is the bottom line. But the foundation has a completely holistic approach 
to providing care for these communities. Literally, Mike, there is not one part of their lives that we don't touch. And so in being completely holistic, we approach so many needs that they have, but ultimately it ends up getting back to education. We've all learned that education is the bottom line for being able to break the cycle of poverty for all peoples. That really is what we've all learned that, you know, over the, over the decades that we've been studying this. But we've also learned the Unstoppable Foundation that there are many pieces in place that have to be removed. They're roadblocks, they're obstacles. They have to be overcome before you can send kids to school. So that's what the Unstoppable Foundation does. We go in and we literally move communities in developing countries. Uh, Kenya is where we focus, but we've worked in other countries as well. And we move these communities from destitution, from people that are barely surviving. And we, we are able to leave them in a thriving condition with the tools that we bring to the foundation, with the tools that we that we teach them, you know, we train them into a new life that overcomes poverty. So where I'd like to go from here is, we'll maybe start at a high level, like what's, what's the arc that you're taking them on from destitution and real extreme harsh conditions to communities yeah. that are, are sustaining <laughs> and, and maybe even thriving to a certain extent. And uh, from there, maybe like zoom in on the individual. I know there's several pillars that uh, that you focus on. It's not just education. There's also clean water. There's nutrition. There's even leadership development, healthcare. There's, so there's a lot of elements. And I, I guess first, let's just start with at a high level. I know it's a, a slow change like this. Change with anyone or any collective is take some time, right? Like what, whatever we as humans, we are really good at growing accustomed to our circumstances and to shift. Even if we know that it's going to improve our life, it takes time. Right. So I believe I read that it's usually, there's a pretty tried and true process. It's usually over a four to five year period. Is that right? That's right. I think five is probably more accurate and sometimes it can go longer than that. But we don't really have a set time frame because as you've already mentioned, just the human element, it's certainly different each time around. You know, there's some communities are a little larger and some communities are smaller and some have, you know, greater level of abilities to engage and, and greater resources available. So the time frame can be a little bit flex, but I'd say right around five years is, is average for what it takes to transform a community. And what if you had to, I mean, we're, we're obviously simplifying and there's a lot that goes into, which we'll get into, you know, all the grand, more granular details of it, but what's the general arc of like, what's year one look like, year two, year three, year four, year five? Sure. Well, to start with, is it okay if I frame really where the people are coming from before we come Absolutely. in? Absolutely. Okay. Because be really that's, I think that's, yeah, I think that's an important thing really for us all to understand is that we're talking about people that are in dire straits. And, and I don't mean to sound melodramatic, but I will tell you that in the world, so 56 million children are without education. And so that's a big, big number. But what's shocking is that the majority of them live in sub-Sahara Africa. And so that's the region where the Unstoppable Foundation focuses our work is in sub-Sahara Africa. And in that region, more than half of women and children die prematurely. So we're not talking about 
misfortune or our discomfort or not the most abundant life. We're talking about life and death. And so that's where we focus because we know that as soon as we take a community on, that we have lives to save. So the first things that we put in are what I'll call our critical care pillars, and that is food, water, and nutrition. Excuse me, food, water, nutrition, and healthcare. Those three, those are the three pieces. And that's extremely valuable because those pieces together save lives right out the gate. We stop that premature death process by putting those in. So from here, Janet, where would I like to go? I can continue with the five pillars if you want to hear about how they work together. Yeah. I, and there's a, I think what I was sitting with is I, I see it's a human tendency, or at least I know it's a tendency for me to uh, project what we experience to be a, a way of solving a problem onto a community that has very different set of, let's say values and needs and, and desires. Right. And, and in America, uh, what I've seen is very common is to throw money at, at the problem, right. To not right. actually take the time to understand what's going on. And uh, yeah, I'm wondering if you could just address, I know that we've, we've spoken a little bit off camera uh, about what this is like, but what, what that process is like too. And like, how are you getting acclimated to uh, their culture before you are going in saying, you know, we've got the answers, we've got the resources and, and that type of thing. Yeah, no, I appreciate the sensitivity of that question. I think it's a very important part of what we do and who we are as a foundation. So we don't go in with that attitude, like we're Americans, we have the answer, and we don't throw money at anybody. In fact, we have a very strong policy. It's one of our mantras. This is not charity. We're not giving a handout. We are giving a hand up. And the reason that we are is because we know that when you give a handout, it's always temporary. It's going to expire. Whatever you give is going to expire. But when you are training people out of the obstacles, out of the adversity that they were born into, they were born into these challenges. But when we train them above that, they can take the skills we provide and they become lifelong skills and passions. And we are excited to be able to do that, but we love their culture. We, we know so much about their culture. When the foundation goes to visit, we honor their culture and, and dress more like they do than them coming our direction. We have no intention or desire to change them from being Kenyans or from being African. They're very proud of their heritage and who they are. And we honor that with them. And we keep all of that intact. We don't try to act like we have the answers. That's not at all what we're doing. But the fact is, is that we have access to scientific and technological advancements that help them, that will help them. And so we can provide those tools without shifting who they are as a people. We have no desire to change them. We want to just see them grow in the areas where they need to, where they need to develop understanding and, and training. And we provide that. And you know, it'd be interesting for you to know, Mike, also, is that when we start with a community, we don't just take any community, we vet communities because we want to make sure that we are working with people who have skin in the game. They have to want this. Mm. They have to desire this. We're not going to force our way into anybody's life. This is a huge gift, what we bring, and we know that. 
And it's also a big commitment on their part as well. It's a big commitment on our part. We're responsible for taking our donors' financial gifts and support and responsibly using them to the absolute best of our abilities. And we take that very seriously. And we do. That's exactly what we do. And we have eyes on and hands on everything that unfolds in the communities. And it's an amazing process. These people are transformed. They want it. They're excited. They, they're trained in it. They're training their children. They pass it on. And that's the idea. We get out of the way. <laughs> After they've learned it all, we get out of the way. Yeah, that that balance that you're describing of kind of just meeting them where they are and, and understanding what it is that they want and also seeing if there's a real buy-in, not like we have this answer that we need to kind of yank you in this direction, but rather are you guys wanting some sort of education and, and support around what it means? Like we have some scientific advances and if this isn't the right fit for you, like we understand that that's a, that's a powerful place to, to be coming from and fertile ground for this transformation that you're talking about to happen is that there's a collective buy-in that we're ready for this. So thank you for, for going there. And yes, I would love to, continue with the other five pillars from here. So sure. yeah, what, what are the rest? Sure. So we've already talked about food, water, water is the first thing we do, food, water, healthcare. So once those three pieces are in place, now the folks are stable. They are stable. They're no longer facing perilous, you know, outcomes. Then we shift our attention to the adults and we bring what's called income training or economic empowerment. And we teach them about, we, we work with them. First of all, we find out what, where they live and what's the most reasonable way for them to create a revenue stream. But that's our goal is we have to get them to a revenue stream. And so if they live in a farming community and that's what they grew up with, then that's the most obvious place to work. So we'll work on agriculture and we'll provide the tools. We'll provide them with irrigation systems for their fields and we'll help them till and, you know, rotate the land and, and aerate it. And, you know, we work with them to make it a really conducive environment for bringing forward the best possible harvest. And then once that harvest comes, we teach them how to work it and how to make produce that's sellable and how to sanitize it and how to market it. Once they've got money coming in, now there's a whole new set of training that's needed, what to do with money for the first time. And we teach them how to be entrepreneurial, how to reinvest that money into their business so they can grow their business. That This is their family's gold now. They've got a wealth starting to develop in the family. And we teach them to continue on in that so that it doesn't stop, so that it's progressively growing and that it's something that their children will take over and it will be a part of them going forward. But the most important thing that happens is they begin to create an income and that income changes everything. Because I think I might've mentioned to you before, but the little girls in these communities, it's part of their cultural practice. They are typically married off at a very young age and to an older man in exchange for a dowry. And that is out of the critical need because they don't have enough to feed the entire family. And so it makes sense that that little girl would be married off. But when the dads start to bring in an income stream and the moms can start to bring in an income stream, their whole world shifts. I mean, that changes everything. 
And so now the little girls no longer have to be married off. They can be sent back to school. And that's what their heart's desire is. These little girls desperately want to go to school. And instead, they're forced into chores while they're being shopped for a marriage partner. And the chores are like carrying 40-pound jugs of water on their head. You've seen probably the images in National Geographic with these little girls. And that's exactly what they do. They do it all day long. And they walk to the only water source, and they're lugging dirty water back and forth for the family all day long. So what a beautiful outcome for them to be able to go to school and to grow up and to have intentionality with their life and to be able to do something that matters to them. Mm-hmm. It's just an incredible transformation. Once all these pieces, so those are the four, we start with water, then good balanced nutrition and food, healthcare, so important. And then the economic training and empowerment. After that's in place, now everybody can go to school. The little boys yeah. can go to school. The little girls can go to school. And that's when the foundation, we build schoolhouses. We renovate existing schoolhouses. We bring playgrounds and libraries, everything they need to make them flourish and thrive. Mm. Well, beautiful summation of everything. And yeah, I, I think part of me wants to maybe keep going with some other success stories. But I think what we're I'm most drawn to right now is the, the power of education. And I know that Bob Proctor, among others, have been foundational for supporting Unstoppable Foundation, and I'm sure have influenced what education looks like, not only for the organization, but for the those in Kenya, the, the young children and, and families who are, sounds like really hungry to learn and yeah. have the appetite for learning. And what is it, what does it look like to like, what, what is the education? I know this is a pretty big question, but what, what are you educating them on? Like, there's probably so much you've already spoken, like, yes, we're educating about nutrition and how to you know, manage their finances once income is being generated. But what are you teaching them about? I'm sure there's lots of mindset, you know, like beliefs and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah. No, great question. So as part of honoring their culture, we don't bring them any specific ideas about what their spirituality should be. They already have a very defined spiritual life there. And so we honor that and we work within that framework. And so we don't make any attempts to change their way of thinking or change who they are or change what they treasure and what's important to them historically because they have such deep roots and they love their roots. But what we do rather is we work with it. And so first of all, basic academics, crucial. That's what our schooling and our educational process is about. We work with the Kenyan government. We work within what their requirements are you know, for education. The Unstoppable Foundation is able to provide the accommodations for teachers and the government actually provides the teachers they are Kenyans, they're Kenyan trained, they're Kenyan educated, and they usually will come from the big cities. So that's why we always provide teacher accommodations as well, because they need some place to stay in these small rural communities. But what the Unstoppable Foundation also does is we have something that's very, very special that is unique to the foundation. It's called the Unstoppable Leadership Academy. And mm-hmm. under the guidance of brilliant minds like Bob Proctor and others, Mary Morrissey, you know, Jack Canfield, the the prolific author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and many, many others. We have, you know, Lisa Nichols. I could go on and on. We have incredible gifted people in this century that have brought the best of their best to us for us to compile 
this six course curriculum that's called the Unstoppable Leadership Academy. So even though it's set up in a very organized structure, it's required training for our college students. We've done pilot programs in the high schools, but we do an introduction of these concepts even at our primary school. So mm. in grade school, these kids are learning life skills. So it's not just common sense things. A lot of it is common sense because these are concepts that have not been trained to these people that they don't know. It's formed them. And without changing who they are, we're adding to who they are. We're giving them tools and they are just such powerful tools, Mike. I mean, truly, one of the things we start with is training them how to have trusting and mutually respectful relationships. Who doesn't grow from that? But they live in such a male-dominated society. I know how that felt in a very small way, not at all what they experience. Theirs is, is much different. That the little girls don't even get to continue in school. And so that shifts and the thinking shifts and the men are taught and the boys are taught that girls can be respected as well. And it's just incredible the way we see these people just transform and their love for one another just continues to grow and build on. It's just really amazing. But some of the other skills are like public speaking and public presenting. Not everybody has been given those tools. And, and I don't know that we necessarily equip our young people in this country with those tools. I think it can be a little, little hit and miss. <laughs> I know a lot of people that go to Toastmasters for that very reason. There you go. It's awesome. It's a great tool. It's a fantastic tool. But we are giving these tools starting in primary school. Then we're teaching them how to work as a group and how to network and how to turn around now and give back to your community. I mean, so many things. We could spend another whole episode just talking about the Unstoppable Leadership Academy. It is so groundbreaking and life-changing. It's transformational. So that's a big part of what we do. So yes, academics, but life skills as well. Yeah. Well, maybe we can, A, maybe we can have another <laughs> separate conversation about the Leadership Academy and B, we still have a good amount of time left. So I'm, I'm game to explore that because that I'm, I'm lit up by hearing that. And it's funny because as, as you were speaking about building, trusting and, and meaningful relationships, I was thinking, man, I, I could have used that in, in first grade or second grade or at any point in my life. It, it's really mostly been through my family, through life experiences, and then maybe through reading and other podcasts. It's not something that is taught in, you know, elementary school, primary school, middle school, in our traditional education system. So right. I wanted to just underline and and highlight it's just mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing that you're going out into other other places in the world and teaching these really foundational life skills that are I think they're the most probably the most important thing that we could be learning how do we relate to each other essentially right. so yeah. yeah from from here yeah I would love to hear just at, at the leadership academy that I know there's so many different transformational learnings that you can get from being in, in a program like that. And uh, would love to hear you just riff on some of them. What, what comes up for you as you were talking, like when you said, I could have a whole other conversation about this, what were, what were some of the things going through your head? Well, for me, I had an opportunity to edit some of our early documents. And when I read them, you know, it was on deadline, somebody needed them from me and I was doing like a final edit. So last eyes on, and it was late, as late, it was like an overnight project. And I'm not 
a terribly emotional person. I don't cry that easily, but I found myself weeping through this document. It slowed me down so much. It was really irritating. But the reason I was is because what I was reading really for the first time was I was, I kept putting myself in these kids' positions, like, oh, this is going to change everything for them because it was so empowering. These, these tools that we're giving to the Unstoppable Leadership Academy. And to give you an example, there's a lot of role playing that we do, and that's a great way to learn. And I, I do think, you know, we do some of that in, in our collegiate system here, you know, in group projects and things like that. But this was having people buddy up and working with another person. And for example, sharing with somebody when you see somebody cheating at work and how to call them out, you know, things like that. That's a really challenging situation. We might all identify with that. And I know I can, I've seen people, you know, stealing from work and how do you go to somebody, you know, and say, Hey, you can't do that or whatever. And, or how do you, do you wrap them out? Like what, what is it's a moral question and it's a deeply personal internal question and it requires a certain development. Like once you learn what is the right thing, then you can grow in that in that skill and that technique. And that's an example of the types of things that we walk through with the community members in the Unstoppable Leadership Academy. That's just one example. But what we're doing is, well, first of all, we believe so much in this programming that we've gotten behind it as a foundation and we're focusing on it in the future. And so now we're taking it. We've recently brought on new staff members on the ground in Kenya, very bright, I would say brilliant, very highly educated Kenyans that have moved from their comfortable lives in the big cities out into our little rural communities and now live there with their families. And they are promoting the Unstoppable Leadership Academy. We call that the ULA, by the way, it's we acronym it, the, the ULA. And so they are promoting it and they're actually putting it in institutions, in accredited learning and vocational schools and technical schools and colleges. You know, we run our own college there in the Maasai Mara region of Kenya, it's called We College. and we have it there. It's part of required learning in order for you to get your degree. You have to be certified in the program. So there's six different courses in the Unstoppable Leadership Academy coursework, and it's a two-year certifiable program. But these young people that we've hired now in Kenya, we're able to train it even to the community members. So even, so yes, students, for sure students, it's a given that students have to have this. But we're able to take it back to the adults as well. And many of the adults that we work with are not even literate. So they speak Swahili largely. Swahili and English are the two primary languages. Those are the two official languages in Kenya, Swahili and English. And yet people in the areas where we serve, there's probably between 50 and 100 different languages spoken there. A lot of dialects and a lot of smaller languages. And so training them, it's not even required that they read or write. They can give them these tools and certify the adults in these. And what happens is it directly impacts their ability to create an income. And so we're able to gauge that and we can run the metrics on that. And we're watching that very carefully because that is a critical piece that we can bring to all people. So the Unstoppable Foundation has one of our programs is our enrichment centers. An enrichment center would be something similar to what you and I would have in our neighborhoods, like a community center. A beautiful, you know, sturdy sound building that provides a lot of different purposes for everybody to have access to. And what we're doing with our enrichment centers is we have 
the ULA programming being taught ongoing in the centers. So people can come from everywhere and they can take a lot of it or they can take a little bit, but they will grow no matter how much of it they're able to get. They will grow, they will be transformed, they'll be introduced to concepts that will help them to overcome poverty. So it's a, an extremely prolific program and we're really proud of it. Mm. Seems like there's much to be proud of. Is there <laughs> a is there one particular success story that, that comes to mind? It can be really powerful. A, a lot of what we've been talking about is conceptual and mm. very powerful. And it could be helpful to place you know, a, a name or a specific instance when yeah. someone was transformed or someone came from really tough circumstances to be living a life that they are in love with in some way. Yeah, no, it's great. And we have lots of stories. You know, we work closely with our Kenyan communities. And so we know a lot of these people and the students. And one really stands out. It's a young woman named Faith. And Faith was a little girl in Kenya, and she lived in a community that was nearby our school. We had a, we have a beautiful all-girls high school, and it was in her region. And when she was, I think, around 12 years old, she was taken out of school by her father and forced to do the chores that we talked about, the lugging of water and other chores too, you know, working around the house while she was being shopped for a marriage partner, very classic common cultural thing that you'll see there. And so Faith was very, very, very stubborn. And she applied for acceptance into our girls' school there. And so she was denied. They were filled. by She had you know, late entry, late application. She was denied. And she was devastated. And then unfortunately, her mom passed away that year. And after her mom passed away, she just wouldn't eat and she was depressed and she just went into a deep slump from really from being rejected from the school. And there was a miracle and something turned around and she received a late acceptance. And so she did receive a scholarship to our girls high school there. And she went and she just catapulted to greatness. And she ended up becoming the first president of the student body at that school and she went on, this is a really, it's an emotional story. I'll try not to, I told you I don't cry. Now I'm going to like show myself to be untrue. So Faith was actually brought to the United States to be a speaker at one of the Unstoppable Galas. So we had this annual black tie gala, I already told you at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Faith got on an airplane from her rural community. Now, when I say rural, it's hard to get your head around how primitive these places are, truly, Mike. I mean, imagine homes with no running water, no electricity. So people say to me all the time, but what about the internet? Certainly you have the internet. Certainly there's no internet. Okay, so this little girl who'd probably never been in a vehicle in her life travels to Nairobi, the capital city, gets on an airplane, which she'd probably only seen maybe overhead, she certainly doesn't have magazines or any other way to see an airplane. Travels, not just to the United States, not like she went to Nebraska or someplace, you know, remote. She travels into Beverly Hills, California and goes to the Beverly Hilton Hotel. And on the very same stage where the Golden Globes Awards are produced, she takes the mic. People thought she was a hired actress. She was that good. She just calmly, in English, just 
shared her story and gave thanks to the audience. And the people that were sitting in that room that night were the very people that made provision for this little girl's life to be completely transformed. There's not a dry eye in the place. And I met Faith. I did her makeup before she went on stage that night. <laughs> and so it, that to me is just such a powerful story. It's one of my favorite examples of just completely turning a life around. Faith actually ended up going then to the unstoppable our college, we it's we college, and she received a full ride scholarship, which is room, board, tuition, books, you name it, the foundation provides it. And so it's just an incredible story to see, you know, this little girl who was determined. <laughs> she was determined. And we love that. That's what we want. We want to champion that spirit. Well, words can be very futile sometimes. And I think this is one of those times that there there aren't many words, but I'm deeply touched by that example and inspired. That's that's maybe the best I, I can do in this moment. And is there, does Faith have, was there a video of the, the talk that she gave? Is there a place that we could link to maybe her story in the show notes? I'll absolutely provide it to you. Okay. Her whole story is in a video actually. We have two separate ones. We have a video of Faith, her story, because it was such an important and powerful story. We actually did a video about it, but also it links a small piece of her on stage, but then we have a whole separate recording of her being on stage and her whole presentation. But I'll give you the one that's shorter. It's about a three minute video. Your audience will love it. It's real. It's the kind of video link that you send around. Trust yeah. me, it's very moving. It's hard for me to watch it and not, get a little choked up over it every and i've seen it a hundred times it doesn't matter her story is so powerful to me well thank you in advance for sharing it um, of course i'll make sure that it's linked in the show notes and right. I, I would love to have the longer one too i I, okay. I i mean i do my interviews sometimes go over two hours on this podcast so i'm not okay. scared of the length and, and the long form so okay. um, both both are absolutely welcome I wanted to also get into the, you said there were six maybe courses in the in the ULA or maybe modules was a way that I was internalizing it. I, I think they're kind of one in the same. And you named that in some ways, but they're going over relational skills and how to have challenging conversations, how to speak up in a you know, place of conflict or, or things like that. But uh, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to what, what someone might be learning and just how much we might be transformed. Two years is a, a long time. I'm sure there's so much that happens. And yeah, what, what sticks out to you in terms of things that you'd be learning in those six courses? Sure. So let's just shift for a moment back to some of the authors who've provided us their very powerful materials. Let's just start with Bob Proctor. And as you already mentioned, Bob Proctor, he really, I would say, is a pinnacle of this organization. He was here from the very beginning supporting Cynthia Kersey, our founder and our CEO, very tight knit working relationship and gave a lot of ideas about how this could continue to work and how to make this work. And, and he's been just instrumental in what we do. And to this very day, we have a lot of students of Bob Proctor that support the foundation. And so not just Bob's organization, they are big supporters, but as well, you know, Sandy Gallagher, just a wonderful, wonderful woman and, and Bob's, you know, wife and, and widow, Linda, they've all been extremely supportive of what we do. But Bob's teachings really look at how to change your life. You know, really that's what Bob 
shows people is how to change their life. People get stuck. They get in a rut. They feel like, oh, I feel like I could do so much more. And he empowers people by showing them that they can be so much more. And he gives those specific tools and, you know, tools like really believing in yourself and breaking out of, you know, he has a, a programming called the paradigm shift and it's breaking, you know, what we believe about ourselves to be true and seeing that, you know, speaking our, our future into existence, it really does work. It requires believing that we can do it. And he teaches how to do that. And that's part of what we teach. You know, a lot of these families grow up in this region and poverty is, it's a challenging experience. You know, they don't think outside what else could be. They don't dream big because nobody in their entire existence has ever done big or dreamed big. And so it's it's brand new. It's a brand new concept to them. And that is probably the key to really making the biggest shift is showing them what's possible. And it doesn't have anything to do with our dreams for them. It's what is their own personal dream. And I think every child has a dream. And so we're unlocking that and we're unlocking it for the adults. You know, what can be possible? What did you think, what would you love that you don't believe is possible and we show them how that can become a reality and so it works it really starts you know inside and you know bob says that everything is created twice you know first we think it and then we put it into motion mm -hmm. and so we teach them how to do this and it takes some it takes some doing it takes some reprogramming it's a brand new thought process and again, we have no desire to shift them out of their culture and who they are. We want them to remain that. But this is an addition. We're giving new gifts, new skills, new tools, new resources through the ULA, through the Unstoppable Leadership Academy. So that's one great example is thinking into results is Bob's programming that he's provided for us, TIR, thinking into results. And that is just a real shift of your mental your mental ability to be different from what you are, to be bigger, to be better and to grow. So that's a really important place to start. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was in college and I, I'm not going to get this study exactly right, but the, the essence of the study that I remember learning was that there was a professor who you controlled for all the variables of, the, you know, like there's a control group and there's another group one of the groups and, and you're controlling for intelligence and all that, like it, it, by all accounts, they're mostly even groups of people. One of them is told that they are going to fail at a test. And another is that they're held to a higher expectation that they're there. Okay. There's a level of esteem that they are being held to and all other things equal. The group that was held in high esteem just performs better by a, by a significant margin. And there's just something really powerful about being shown that your belief is possible or being being believed in by people. And yeah. uh, that's a lot of what I'm hearing in your response is that when someone is shown that there's a way outside of the, you know, whatever container or uh, internal worldview beliefs that they have when they're shown that there's another way, there's a new set of beliefs that there's more options possible. That is probably the most important step one to take is just to be shown. It could be different Then all the other stuff. It's, it, it's much easier to, to start building the habits and the, the foundations 
to move towards that. If you don't believe it's possible, then it's it's not going to happen anyway. And yeah. I'm I'm struck by just how many of us are products of the way that we were raised or what we were born into. Yeah. At a lot of I grew up upper middle class in a suburb of New York and you know very privileged and uh, a lot of my peers we are in very similar places in our lives and are in very similar places to our parents where our parents were in their lives right. and if there's no kind of internal shift around that it's very likely that that would just continue on for any generation and that that includes those who are born into wealth and includes those who are born or like even more extreme wealth and people that are born into poverty. It's like right. you only kind of know what you know, right. especially as you named that someone in Kenya, they're not growing up with pop culture references or, you know, a, a hero on TV that they can look up to. Right. At least in, in America, we have, if not from our family systems, we know that it's possible through culture and through having a phone. In Kenya, it's really, this is what life is. I, I don't know reality any other way. So that's a, that's a really powerful way to be coming in. It is. And, you know, I think what you were sharing about the two study groups in college that you were experiencing, I think a key to that is overcoming fear. And I think that fear of the unknown is just natural. It's a natural human reaction. And when we show people how to overcome fear, we open up a whole new world of opportunities for them because typically that's what holds people back is that fear. And so that is a very important part of the ULA programming and, and what Bob teaches and really probably what all of our contributors teach is that overcoming fear is paramount to being able to dream outside of what you know and what you have and then to achieve it. And we, we are watching them achieve it. Communities that the Unstoppable Foundation had been dealing with for a long time. And they are all now released into independence and self-sustainability. It's so powerful that we've been, we know our model works. We are watching it work and we're very excited. And, you know, this is, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, it's, this is our 15th anniversary. And so we're in our 15th year right now and it's a very exciting time and you know, we want to celebrate that and we want to celebrate what it's meant to these families in Kenya that are not just still alive, but that are actually thriving. And so we're very, we're very grateful for the opportunities we've been given and for the opportunities we are able to give to this whole region of the world. Well, happy 15 years to you, Janet, and to the Unstoppable Foundation. And uh, it's a, that's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm having you on here is that I'm, I'm become a big fan of what you guys are doing. And, you know, in, in preparation for the interview, I ask what's one question that you would love to be asked. And I, I have to be honest with you, you gave me, I think my favorite answer to this question of any I've gotten. Usually people say dealer's choice, or I'll get back to you or and, and frankly, I, I mean, I've gotten a lot of really good ones. But you did not give yourself a softball question here. And <laughs> So, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about what you're doing at Unstoppable Foundation. And if it's not clear already, it's it's taking place in Kenya and Africa. And the question that you asked for yourself to be asked is why Kenya and why not American impoverished youth? And yeah. that is a it's a big question. And I, I love that you're willing to put it on the line here. So 
it's definitely something I'm curious about. Like, why, why Kenya? Why, why not where we are here in the U.S.? Yeah, no, it, it is a really important question. And the, and the answer is very important for people to understand. So certainly every nation on earth has poverty. That's unquestionable. What is a big de- a definitive distinction between those different countries is what resources are available internally from that country to help provide for the impoverished. So in the United States of America, we have lots of situations that are challenging, that are very hard, that our kids are growing up without what they need. And for a host of reasons, you know, different inner city issues. And, but we have a government that addresses that on a regular basis. We have made provision upon provision for these families that are struggling. There are are options. If there are no options, a a mom can still take her kids and and show up at a homeless shelter and find a warm, safe bed for her kids. And so that is a very important piece. In Kenya, there are no resources. There are no organizations to call for help. There's no phone to make a phone call. So for the families that are facing poverty, they have to just suffer through it. And the fact is, is that many of them die from malnutrition and from toxic water conditions. Those are the two leading causes of the death, of the premature deaths, is their water and, of course, malnutrition. And so those are changeable. Those are fixable. And so we have this grateful, humble, beautiful people They love their kids just like you and I do, Mike. I mean, you know, we love our families and we would, there's nothing we wouldn't do for our families. And so they have that same burning desire to protect and save. The moms will go for three days without eating sometimes when food is very scarce. And so this is a very important thing. It's preventable. It's prevent, these deaths are preventable and it doesn't take much. And the dollar in North America is becoming more and more, you know, exaggerated. It's just inflation is just something that we're watching grow out of control. The dollar, the American dollar and the North American money system goes so far in Kenya, it's unreal, the difference. So we can take a small amount. That's why I say to you, every donation saves a life. Does that sound a little melodramatic? Maybe, but it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. We're able to save lives with so little, with so little, we can make such a difference. And we give these kids an opportunity to live and to continue to exist and to save so much heartbreak for those parents and so many moms, the moms, you know, dying more premature. It's women and women and children are the most vulnerable and we can do so much to change that. So I just, you know, I invite people on a regular basis. I never make any apologies about inviting people to stand with us because what we do changes everything. And so that's why, that's why Africa, you know, it's not, it's not all the same situation here. And my heart is very broken for the sad situations that are unfolding all the time in our country. I know that. And and I support a lot of local needs. You know, we have to all do what we can to help. But we can change the whole world for this region of the world, Sub-Saharan Africa, the number one most devastated hit place on the planet for lack of education, lack of resources. 
Well, uh, Janet, I'll make sure that we link to the Unstoppable Foundation, of course, in the show notes. This is a, a good time to enlist the, the support of the listeners. If, if you have even just $1 that you can donate, it really makes a big difference. And I'll also make sure that I uh, bring this up in the introduction to the episode as well. So uh, yes, listeners, please join me. It's it's obviously, if you couldn't tell from the first hour of this conversation, it's it's going to really a powerful pause. And from here, Janet, I actually want to turn my focus a little bit onto you because I am I'm really inspired by your your zest for life, it seems, that your your appetite for learning and for growing. And I know that one of my come froms, and I, I try to be cautious of this when I'm asking the questions, is there's a there's a kind of a saviorism maybe that I, that sometimes I experience in my own life that because I'm from a place of privilege, I feel that, I don't know, that I have the, the answers that uh, someone who makes less money than me might not have. And I really try and check myself on that. But one of the things that I've learned from coaching, which I do, is that I'm not above my clients that a lot of times I am learning from my client in the same way that my clients might be learning from working with me. And I imagine that you are learning a lot from being in Kenya and from the children in Kenya. So what, what have been some of the things that you have learned while being at the Unstoppable Foundation from Kenyans and other sub-Saharan -Sub Africans? Mm -hmm. Wow, there's so much. It's hard to even pull down one thing. I want to say that I really identify with you in, in an attitude of humility. I am so humbled to be in my position. I really am. It's just very, very humbling. I recognize that the people that we are serving are the most gracious, grateful people I've ever seen in my life. And, and actually, it makes me feel a little sad, like, wow, <laughs> I don't think I'm that gracious. I don't think I'm that grateful. And that in and of itself is humbling for me. And so I learn and grow from that on a regular basis. And I also want to be very careful to not ever feel like or seem like I have the answers because we're in a very privileged position to be providing tools that change lives and save lives. And so if your humility shifts on that and you start to get it all a little, you know, puffed up, then the system will not it will not be effective. You just cannot deliver when you have any part of yourself in it. So it's a constant self-death, if you will. It's a constant process of, it's not about me. This is not about me. We're doing God's work. We're doing the work that has to be done. You know, this is so critical. And I, I see myself as a very small link in the chain, but the chain itself is extremely powerful and very, very important. And I do think that these people, their expectation is so low. Like they don't demand, they don't have that entitlement thing that you see. I mean, that was something that challenged me when my kids were in high school, you know, like their friends would come over and we also lived in, you know, privilege and my kids' friends would come over from high school and they'd be like, you know, just a little demanding, like, you know, this is what they wanted. And and I just was so concerned about, like, I feel like that maims a person to have entitlement. I do. I feel that that sets us back. Mm -hmm. And I really have just continually learned and grown in my own 
level of humility from watching the people that we serve. You know, I don't know how else to say it. It's just, it's a huge honor. It's a huge privilege to be able to serve the Kenyan people. They're, they're beautiful. They're gifted. They're strong. I mean, they have family ties that are to be something really to be looked up to. They are so ferociously loyal. You know, these kids get educated, even our college grads, when they graduate from college, I mean, they, they came from a family that nobody ever had that level of education, not even close to it. Most of them have never even graduated from high school. And their first burning desire is to get back to the community and serve in their community. Not, I want to go discover the world. You know, now I'm educated. I want to move to the big city and become a doctor. No, they want to take their skills back. It's really beautiful. And it, it does, it does teach me a lot daily. Yeah. Those are things that I really aspire to as well. The the sense of community I'm hearing, uh, loyalty mm-hmm. and uh, humility is a big one. And and something I meditate on pretty regularly is enoughness. So I'm, I'm hearing that in graciousness, they are, they're, the, they're not asking for much and uh, enough is very different for someone in Kenya than what we have grown accustomed to in places of privilege, especially in the United States. And, oh man, yeah, I, I've interviewed uh, several people that have spoken in some way about what it means to have enough. And it's a, it's a tough one, you know, it's a tough one in a, in a culture that looks at abundance from a place of resources. But it, I think that we're really starving in some ways with uh, what what really matters abundance of love and connection and community uh-huh. and and we could really learn from other places that aren't as i don't know set in the western advanced ways about what it means to to have a shared sense of uh, what's best for the collective and uh, i'm touched by this as well yeah let me ask you do you know who david Meltzer is have you heard I, that name i don't think so Okay, so David Meltzer is a he's very visible in the YouTube world. He's got TV shows. He was a sports agent, one of the leading sports agents in the United States. And now he does a lot of coaching. He still does sports, but he does a lot of coaching and he has multiple programs on the internet and also on cable TV and on networks. And he is the chairman of the board of the Unstoppable Foundation, David David Meltzer. And David has a very strong saying that I hear him say all the time, and that is the concept of more than enough, is that we have more than enough, but it requires us to mentally shift our outlook before we recognize that we have more than enough because we grew up in such a mentality of it's not enough. <clears throat> so it's interesting that you brought that word forward because that's such a David Meltzerism, I'll call that. And David, David teaches us all, all the time. Like I can jump onto one of his podcasts for five minutes and I walk away going, wow, that was like, I was like an IV. <laughs> like I just got a shot <laughs> because he is just so, he's so on fire. You have to check him out. You will love David. And he's a great guy and he loves this foundation. He's been to Kenya with us many times and brought his family and his kids. And he's a, is a big part of what we do and what we have done. And he is another very strong force in the world for good and for bringing good. And he is proudly the chairman of the board of the Unstoppable Foundation. Well, I will definitely check him out and uh, I'll link to him and the other names that we've spoken about in the show notes. I'm curious, what what else are you most lit up by these days? Like you you said that your your appetite for learning is is just 
it's as high as it's ever been sounds like and uh what are you like what are you most drawn to these days what are you most eager to learn about Well, it's an interesting time. I think that we are watching a lot change in our nation. I, I mean, you know, looking back to 10 years ago, things have changed a lot. And it's exciting to be at the stage of life that I'm in because I'm an empty nester, as I've told you. And so that changes your whole calendar. You know, you have a lot more bandwidth for being able to dive into things. And, and I am a learner. And I have, if you could see my nightstand, I have a <laughs> tall, fat stack of books. My husband and I read together. all the time. And that's something that I really find very, um, very valuable part of a relationship, a little plug for marriage there. I find that reading books together is a really strong suit. And so uh, we do. And I definitely am looking at how to be best equipped for managing some of the questions that are coming forward from some of the things that our country is facing that our people are, are starting to face. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And um, I do have groups that I'm involved with and, and, you know, people will come to me and ask, you know, well, how, how can I manage this? And I just see people bringing to me more fear-based questions and asking for advice about how to, you know, overcome any anxiety that they're feeling over just what's unfolding in the world. And so I don't feel anxiety about what's unfolding. I actually feel excited about what's unfolding. And I feel like, you know, with every challenge, there comes an opportunity. And so I feel like that's where I really am wanting to shape myself personally is, is being well-versed at helping people see the opportunities that come forward from adversity or what may feel like adversity to them. Sometimes it's just, you know, a mindset. And sometimes it's real adversity. Certainly there's certainly are things that happen in life that are big challenges, you know, illness and, and losses. And I don't want to diminish that in any way. And my heart breaks when people are suffering. And I'm a big believer of getting down into, you know, the, the, the deepest channels with people when they're grieving and just saying nothing and just being by their side and grieving alongside them. I think it's really important But I also find that it's a very valuable tool to be able to have an answer for some of the questions that people are asking right now. And I think it really points to taking any challenges that we're facing as, as a culture, as a people, as a nation, you know, as, as a greater world and finding the opportunity in it. And it does in many ways lead right back to the foundation. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll find people that feel like, oh, this is not the right match for me. That's okay. do something, do something. Because I find that when we're feeling challenged and frightened and uncertain, the best thing we can do is be part of the solution. And by pouring ourselves into what we can change versus being consumed with what we can't change, it just empowers us. It like breaks a lot of anchors off our shoulders and we walk away feeling free and feeling great about what we just contributed to. And so for that's really where I'm focusing on growing is being able to bring that to people because that's a part of my role. It's a part of my personal life. It's a part of my professional life. And so I want to get better at that. So that's really where I'm, I'm really digging and learning and stretching myself. And I watch a lot of training, you know, YouTube videos on it. And I, I attend webinars and I'm reading books and, and trying to connect with people who've walked that path before me and who've really excelled at it. Are you familiar with, you mentioned uh, Cynthia Kersey before, the, the CEO. 
Are you familiar with the talk that she gave about Sir John Templeton's best advice about how to make more money? I think so. I think there was there possibly more than one. I think that she gave on that, but um, there was something I've, about tithing, and uh, I if that rings a bell for you, then yeah, I I wanted to Definitely. yeah. So if you could speak to that a little bit, I would love to hear. Absolutely. So you know, tithing is really a, a mentality, and it it's a lifestyle, and I think that as part of having enough and having more than enough is being willing to part with what we've been given. And it really does boil down to, and, and there's something else that you and I had talked about. And I think this does go hand in hand about social responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, for those of us who have been given a lot, the responsibility level is high for those of us who maybe were born into a lesser situation. The responsibility doesn't fade. <laughs> it's still absolutely there, but it, it, it grows our soul to tithe grows our soul. And, you know, for those of us that are faith-based, it's a, it's a biblical mandate. And so it's something that I personally take very seriously, like very seriously. And I, and I also have seen the fruit that it produces in our life. And I can give you testimony of people that are donors to the foundation that I've worked with very closely who started with nothing and gave out of their lack of abundance and when I say nothing, I mean people that didn't think their their small gift was going to clear. And each time they gave, they watched their business grow. They watched their income grow. Their heart changed. They got freedom. They began to develop as a person. And they started like, like that fear started to lessen. They're like, oh, okay, I could do that. I didn't think I could, but I did. And I survived. Here I am still. And I'm better now than I was. I'm a better person. And I've developed and I've grown. And, and it's a process. And giving truly does grow the soul. And tithing just means that you are being consistent and that you are being disciplined and that you are committed to being part of the solution for other people, wherever you decide to tithe. I think it's a crucial part of our personal development. Yeah. Well, there's Tony Robbins, I I think famously when he, he came from pretty much nothing himself. And he said something along the lines of if you are generous with $10, or if you're not generous with $10, you won't be generous with a million dollars. And if you're generous with $10, you'll be generous with a million dollars. And it's really more of a mindset. It's I know it can be easy to say from my seat, but people who have come from, like you said, really challenging places where even a small gift might not clear their bank balance. uh, I think that it it speaks testaments to the power of giving that it's, it's not only a generous act for others, but it feels good for yourself too. Yeah, no, it's true. It is so true. I have, I have a couple of just colossal success stories of people that have been with me for years donating to the foundation and they attribute their giving to the foundation as the key change in their life. And it's part of their story. And now they've gone on to high places and both of them are in public arenas where they can speak out about what supporting the foundation has meant for them. And it's been a beautiful journey to be able to watch. I'm grateful and humbled by having been along for the ride Uh, But both of them, ironically, there's two in particular, two young women who just have come out so on top of their game and their souls are just beautiful because they have learned how important it is to give and they give so powerfully and they, they change a lot of lives. And and, 
they have received so much freedom and growth and personal transformation by giving. So it's really very cool to see. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing process. And, you know, it's not like we can claim that we came up with the idea. So I just want to recognize the the beauty in following a divine suggestion or really as a mandate. So it really does pay off when we listen. <laughs> so I, I do have a few more questions for you. But before we get there, is there anything that we haven't spoken about so far in today's conversation that you would like to bring in right now? One more piece I just want to say that that really fulfills our entire holistic approach to addressing lives. And, and I had said that early on, and I just want to just fill in that last piece that we didn't get to talk about. So we talked about our five pillars of care, you know, food, water, health care. Those are the critical care pieces, then income, empowerment, and training. And then it always circles back to education. We always have to leave every community being educated or poverty cannot end. Um, and then we've been able to add a couple of additional pieces. One of them is that Unstoppable Leadership Academy. And it's just, wow, is it ever taking Africa by storm? It's just so exciting to see what we're doing with that. But then also during the pandemic, we found that we were missing a piece and that was emergency disaster relief. So we were able to add that to our programming during that time. And it's been just a lifesaver. And of course, we use that as you know an expression here, but it turned out to literally be a lifesaver in this situation because we were able to provide food and water and supplies to communities that have been cut off by the shutdowns, the local governmental shutdowns. They had the families in lockdown, but people weren't allowed to even use the roadways or the markets were all closed. The schools were all closed. So there wasn't anything essential left open. And for the communities where the Unstoppable Foundation serves, which is extremely rural, I, already, I really try to paint that picture for you for how isolated those communities are. They were facing really death and starvation. And so we were able to add emergency disaster relief and we were able to provide what they needed. And we did not lose a soul during that time. So that is going to be a part of our future programming always. So I wanted to just mention that it's worth saying that emergency disaster relief has its place. It was never a part of what we needed to do in the past. It has now become part of what we must do in the future. And so we've got that added in. So now I feel like we are in a complete circle. There is nothing we don't touch in the lives of the families that we serve. Yeah, well, a very valuable and a necessary addition to uh, five pillars that we spoke about. So thank you for presencing that. And and thank you for what's already been a, a really enriching and a beautiful conversation. So on the back end here, I, I ask more uh, rapid fire in nature types of questions. That I usually ask every guest. They don't have to be quick answers, but here we go. You said that with your husband, there's a fat stack of books next to <laughs> on your nightstand. And I love to hear what other people's books are that you're reading. So if you could just name, even if it was one or two, but as many books as you want to name, uh, books that are on your nightstand or, or things that you would recommend based on the conversation that we've had today. Sure. So, well... One is called Marriage on the Rock. And one of our kids gave it to us. He's married. He's a newlywed. Of course, he's been married for under two years. And he and his wife did it. And they were so impacted by it. They got that for us. So we've been reading that almost every night. We try to read a couple pages of it. And it's so great. And I'm not a newlywed. I've been married for a long time, you know, more than 30 years. But it's something that I believe is such 
really a foundation of who we are to have a solid relationship in our lives. And I do believe in marriage. And so I'm glad to be diving into that book. It's it's a great refresher. It's opening your eyes to things, caused a couple of arguments <laughs> in a good way, um, yeah. which, is, which is good. It's healthy. I mean, I already showed you, I love to grow. And that's how we grow. And so it's that's been a really great, great book. Um, some Many of them are spiritual in nature. Um, I have one that's called uh, Letters to the American Church, which is really interesting. And that's just kind of a wake-up call for where we are now compared to where people were. Again, not to hit any hot spots, but it's a look at how people allowed Nazi Germany to bring in the Holocaust. And what kind of blindness came over the people? And it's a wake-up call for what's happening in America and how we may be blinded to some things too. So that's a very strong, very strong, important part of what you know I believe and I stand for. And so that's been a really good book. <laughs> that's that's been a book that we've been like hitting, hitting our friends in the forehead saying, read this. <laughs> and so that's been another really good one. I do have a book series that I read about a young woman who started an orphanage in Uganda. And her story is very similar, but hers is a diary form. She's written it like a diary. And so I read that and it's just so encouraging for me because the way that she writes is just very, very encouraging. And the first book is called Kisses for Kate. It's kind of a dumb name, but a fantastic <laughs> book. And I've really enjoyed it. And I just got the sequel and I'm just starting to crack that open. That's another good one. So I could I could go on. I mean, there's some really great, important books. One of the things that we're enjoying now is watching our kids, our adult kids, bring us their books saying, oh, you have to read this. So we're reading a host of things that our kids have provided for us, which is really a lot of fun because I think it's just another way to engage with our family, you know, and it matters to them so that we're making it matter to us. And I think that's a great way to be at this stage of life. Learn it from our kids. <laughs> well, I, I hope that my parents think the same, that they listen to a lot of these podcasts and I, I share book recommendations with them too. So that's, uh, that's a beautiful thing. And it, yes, a beautiful way to continue to engage with each other and to stay abreast with what's happening in the world and, and taking a look at these really important cultural challenges that we are really being faced with right now. Agreed. I, I really don't want to succumb. Now, I want to say this with delicacy because I'm not taking a shot at anybody, but I, I don't want to succumb to the place that a lot of our close friends and peers are at at this stage of life. A lot of people are retiring and a lot of people are traveling and really, you know, they've worked hard in their life and they're really just having a lot of fun. And I just feel like we're just getting revved up for the harvest that needs to be, there's a lot for us to do. There's a lot for us to do and, and we can have fun doing it and we are having fun doing it. But I really want to live beside, like outside of myself. Like I don't want to spend a lot of my focus and a lot of my resources on just, you know, blessing myself. Mm -hmm. I really want to make a difference. And I think our lives can count more at this stage, even than they, they did earlier in life. So I'm excited about being this age. I'm excited about what's ahead. I'm thrilled for what I get the opportunity to be a part of. What's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Oh, a text photograph of one of my grandkids. <laughs> mm, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
politics. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I will link, like I said earlier, I'll link to the Unstoppable Foundation in the show notes. And I will, again, I'll, I'll say I, I highly encourage any donation really, truly, it, I know it might sound trite, but we just went over the value of a dollar and uh, what what difference that can make in Kenya and in Africa. And so highly encourage uh, everyone to make a donation. Uh, I will, like I said, I'll, I'll be talking about this in the introduction as well. And is there any other place that you would encourage folks to connect either with you or to engage with the foundation in any way online? I would say definitely our website is a great place. I will provide you with a link that takes you right to our page for our 15th anniversary. Right now, our goal is to reach 15,000 new community members during the year of our 15th anniversary. We want to bring in $5.5 million in contributions for Kenya during this year. So it's it's a big goal and we're excited and we know that we can do it. And we're inviting people to join us, you know, and, and not any one person has to take a huge piece of it. Certainly some people can take a bigger piece of it, but whatever people can contribute, it's belonging to something that matters. And it's a, just a lot of fun. It's a very special experience. I will provide, you know, that for you as well. But no, I think our website is full of information and lots of ideas of what people can do. Some people can't give financially. We've got other ideas of ways that you can use your influence and outreach to just raise awareness and bring other people in if, if people don't have the financial means to support individually. So mm -hmm. there's lots of ways to help. Mm. The website also has links to like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So I'll, I'll make sure I link to all of that Great. as well in the show notes. And Final question that I ask in every single interview, you're very welcome. Uh, in a lot of ways, you've already answered this. So if you want to forego answering, I, I totally understand. But the podcast, as you know, is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And I would love to know in your words what it means to live a meaningful life. I think it means taking every moment that you have, which I view as a gift, and actually using it to grow everybody around you and to contribute in every possible way to leave a, a, an imprint of who you are and what you've been gifted with on every person you encounter. I think that every moment provides an opportunity and sometimes our eyes aren't open. And so I want my eyes to be even more open so I don't miss a single opportunity. Well, Janet, thank you very much for uh, taking some time to leave your imprint and, and to share a little bit of your gifts and the Unstoppable Foundation's gifts on uh, this program, on, on this podcast. I uh, really am grateful that I took the time to answer that phone call that you gave me. And uh, <laughs> it comes full circle that we started our conversation around this and it was it was very meaningful to be able to be able to track the whole uh, progression of me having another guest on the podcast who brought to my awareness this incredible foundation me leaving a what was you know a, a not a giant donation a, a relatively small that I wouldn't expect such a personalized phone call for and to see how it all transpired into us having this really rich deep exploration of what you're doing and I'm a, a really proud supporter of what you're doing. And I appreciate the presence that you showed up with and uh, your openness and, and real grace. You said that grace is something that you've learned from being in Kenya. I experience you to have grace and to be very grateful that you've 
over and over again express what a privilege it is to be able to share on this platform. And, and that goes both ways. I'm really grateful for this opportunity to speak with you as well. Thank you, Mike. It's just been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. And just really, I'm grateful again for the chance to be here today. Well, to all the listeners, we are sending you lots of love and uh, hope you have a good rest of your day or evening whenever you're listening and take very good care. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.